0: Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church Podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. One lesson I've learned in my short time of life here on earth is that home ownership comes with both a set of blessings and a set of challenges. Um, Different homes I've been fortunate to own over the years have had all kinds of opportunities for good things, and then some major challenges as well. Our last home in Virginia, I remember when Laurie and I were looking at this house and looking to buy it, um, everything seemed like it was in good shape, and of course we came to the inspection, and I remember that day walking around the house, and as the inspector pointed out different parts of the house, things seemed to be in good shape. Um, One of the last parts of the inspection though was to go into the crawl space. Now this house in Virginia, to get to the crawl space, you had to go under the deck, army crawl through this little hole into this little area underneath and it was pitch dark the inspector went in first I followed in faith right and went in and with the lights showing he we looked around and I remember these words he said it's, it's a little damp and as he looked at as he looked at the insulation in some other areas he said it's good but not great I was like good but not great what do I do with that, right? And so we, we, waited, uh, we waited, we remember finishing up the inspection. I came back to him and said, well, what does that really mean? And he's like, he's like it's in pretty good shape, but if, over time, keep an eye on it, because it may or may not uh, go as you would like it to go. And I was like, I guess that's good enough. It was good enough for us to buy the house, especially in that market. And we did fast forward a couple years, and as we were walking around the house, my wife, Lori, who's very good with details, started asking questions like, I think there's some cracks Um, above the doorway there and I'm like, I think that crack was always there. Um, No, it wasn't. And then a couple months went by and we saw the cracks getting larger and we thought, something's not right here. Um, And so we had a couple people come take a look at the house and those who know a lot more about houses than we do and they said, what about your crawl space? So we went in, and it was, I remember going back in, army crawling into that same place, and though I had checked it a couple times before, didn't see any major change, it was definitely more damp. The insulation was more damaged, and he said, uh, this is okay and not really good. It changed from good to not great to okay to not so good. And, and so we had a couple of other people look at it and realized if we didn't do something quickly uh, to take care of that cross space, that our foundation was going to be in jeopardy. In many ways, if we didn't address that situation, the foundation would have become a major issue. In fact, in many ways, we were called at that point to address the mess. And I think in many ways, relationships are like that house example. Uh, We could be in a relationship, things could be good, but not great. Um, And if not attended to, if not nurtured, if not cultivated, relationships could quickly devolve to being okay, not so good. Um, and especially when selfishness is involved. All of us are, can fall prey to selfishness. I mean, just uh, to who we are in our broken-down world. And, and one selfish decision, uh, especially if it's ill-timed, can lead to greater separation and, and, and even bitterness and resentment and even at a point's contempt. And all of us at points need an intervention. We need something to break that cycle. We need to address the mess. And so that's the focus continuing of today's sermon series that's titled by that title Address the Mess. Um, and specifically, we're going to look today at marriages, marriages. And now if you're not married or if you're single or single, again, this message, don't tune out. This message has a lot for you as well because the principles and patterns apply to any close relationship. Um, but as we think about relationships, marriage is one where there is Nowhere to hide. You can try and hide. There's nowhere to hide in marriage. I remember uh, reading a book by Mike Mason called uh, The Mystery of Marriage. Uh, Early on in our marriage, Laurie and I, and and there's this description. He describes that love backs you into a corner. And if you try and fight that love, you're always going to lose. But if you surrender and embrace that love, embrace that marriage, good things can happen. And so in many ways, today, as we consider relationships, close relationships, we are going to consider what it means for us to push against selfishness towards selflessness and how that can impact all of our relationships, whether a marriage relationship or any close relationship. Because life is messy, and relationships can be messy. Isn't that true? I know as I think about my life, I think about the relationships over the years, whether it's friendships, family, extended family, and even in the midst of my marriage, it can get really messy really fast. Unless I let God address the mess and, and trust His word and His ways, um, things can spiral quickly out of control. I'll never forget my first year of marriage. I remember thinking, this is going to be great. And then within the first couple weeks, realizing, wow, this is hard. Uh, Lori's a truth teller. And uh, I remember early on in our marriage, her pointing out where I was selfish. I didn't think I was selfish, I thought I was a selfless person. I'm a good Christian. I love Jesus. Wow, the dishes aren't done. Wow, I'm tired. I don't want to do certain things. I want to do things my way. And quickly we learned in our relationship, um, I learned how selfish I was and how much I needed help. I needed God's help. I needed him to address the mess. And little did I realize that, though, there was wonderful verses read at our wedding. Um, And those same verses are inscribed, the Philippians 2, 1 through 5, inside of my wedding ring how much I would need those verses and I would need God's grace in the midst of the mess of that relationship when I was exposed for how selfish I really was. And those are the verses we're gonna consider today. And so whether in a marriage relationship or any close relationship, we're gonna consider God's word that he has good news for us, for any and all of us who struggle with selfishness in relationships. Maybe I'm the only one. If I'm the only one, then just listen to my testimony and you can go home and live your perfect lives. But for the rest of us, we probably need some help with this. And I'm guessing if you're maybe feeling the temperature rise in the room a little bit as you look to the left and to the right, you're realizing we all struggle with selfishness. And we need God to address that mess in our lives. And so as you hear this message, my counsel to you is to hear it for yourself first. Right, before you start looking left, looking to the right point, pointing, being like, you should really listen to Jeff. Listen to this message. Think about yourself, what God is encouraging you and challenging you through his word through this message. Because we're called to address the mess. Um, Say those words with me. Address the mess. Say it one more time. Address the mess. And again, I know I have to start with myself before looking outward. um, And I invite you to do the same. So to do this again, we're going to turn to the New Testament New Testament letter of Philippians, one of the many letters written by the Apostle Paul to encourage these communities of new Christians in the first century. And he wrote this to those Christians in the first ancient city of Philippi. And here he's calling them to unity, right? They were struggling with unity. And in the midst of this, he calls them to unity rooted in Christ. And so as we look at this, yes, these words are meant for that church community in the first century. But by extension, they apply to us, yes, as a church family, but also to every relationship in which we find ourselves. And so whether it's marriage or any close relationship, the patterns and principles will apply. So we're going to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 5. I'm going to read it all the way through. Then we're going to go verse by verse and really pull it apart and look at what God has to say about relationships, especially when there's struggles, there's distance, selfishness, and how can God address the mess and bring that back together. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Hear this from God's Word. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... But each of you to the interests of the others, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here, Paul's writing to a community of Christians who are struggling with unity, and in many ways, can apply to any relationship. And he begins by reminding them of what they have in Christ, assuming that they're followers of Jesus, assuming that they've put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus as their Savior, that he's reminding them that they have these benefits and, these, and the impacts from God. And he does that in this first verse. Now he uses the word "if." He says "if," he says, "If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ." Now typically when we hear the word "if," we're wondering, is he asking, "Is this true?" But the way Paul is positioning this writing, he's more so saying not if this is true, but he's saying since this is true. In essence, he's asking, he's saying this, but he's assuming that it is true because they've known Christ and this should be part of their life. And so he raises four specific examples. He says, if, if or since you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, the assumption is that they're united with Christ, as followers of Jesus, that they're united with the Messiah, the Christ. And he's like, because of that, you should have encouragement. You should have courage literally put into you, encouragement from knowing that you're not alone in this world, that you're, you are united with the promised Messiah. He says, if you have encouragement from being united with Christ. Second, he says, if you have any comfort from his love. Comfort, which is more than nice feelings. Comfort is, is strength that comes from God. Fortitude, right? This, this, this aid that comes from God in the midst of struggles. He says, if you have any comfort from his love, he goes on, then he says, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, speaking of this partnership that these Christians have in the family of God, and the assumption here is if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not in this alone. You're, you have common sharing in the Spirit, and you're supernaturally connected to other Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. Number four, he says, if you have any tenderness and compassion, first receiving it from God and then sharing it with others. The assumption is they've had all of this. And so Paul said, hey, assuming you've had all these then he moves on to verse 2. He says, make my joy complete. What does he mean by that? He said, complete my joy by doing what I'm about to talk about. In many ways, I see this. He, like Paul is like a, like a loving parent who wants to see his children get along. And he wants to see them live out the good wisdom that he's imparted to them and what God has imparted to them. He says, make my joy complete by doing the following. First, he says this. He says, he says by being like-minded. Now, he doesn't mean same-minded or having the same exact thoughts or same exact opinions. He means being like-minded, meaning have the same mindset, the same approach. Like Next week, our students are going to preach out of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, where it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Here, Paul is saying, make my joy complete by having, having the same mindset, the same focus. Focus on Christ. And with that comes a focus on having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Well, what are we to do then, he says? He says, how to actually live this out? Then he now gives some warnings. Verse three, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Here, Paul begins to turn up the temperature a bit. He says, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, for those of you who love the original languages, the Greek word for nothing, when translated nothing, uh, means nothing. (laughs) You don't need to be a Greek scholar to know the depths of what this means. He says, do nothing, meaning cut it out of your life. Do everything you can with God's help and provision to rid this of your life. He says, do nothing, absolutely try and do nothing out of selfish ambition. There's a lot of ample grace here. All of us are gonna have selfish ambition, but he's like, make it your goal with God's help to do nothing out of selfish ambition, meaning where it serves you and you only. He, God's not against ambition. God wants us to have ambition, especially for his glory and his name and his purposes in the world. But here he says, do have nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Also says, or do nothing out of vain conceit, meaning where you, it's all about you. It's all about you in a click-click me first world where it's all about selfies, right? And and it's all about me. He says, don't do this out of vacancy. Do this, do nothing out of vacancy. And he continues by saying, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Now I've read this verse over the years and thought, okay, I'm supposed to value others above myself. Therefore, I need to then think I'm worthless and everyone else is better. That's not what Paul's getting at here. When he says in humility, he says, have a proper understanding of yourself through how God sees you. Then, value others above yourself meaning put their needs and concerns before you have their needs and concerns surpra- surpass your own needs and concerns in humility put others first in other words of what Paul is saying and he continues by saying not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others right? look out look for others interests and put them first well how are we to do this Verse 5 brings it all together. In your relationships with one another, he says, have the same mindset of Christ, as Christ Jesus. Meaning, have the same thoughts, attitudes, and then resulting actions of Christ Jesus. Now, that's not something that comes Naturally. Right, in this world where we're pulled towards selfishness, where we're told every day by the messages we get, whether through conversations, through social media, through regular media, or every other kind of media, it's, the message out there is, it's all about me. Take care of yourself. But the way of Christ is the opposite way. The way of Christ isn't, it's all about me. The way of Christ is the way of sacrifice. The way of Christ is not selfish. The way of Christ is selfless selfless. So what does this have to do with marriages and close relationships? It has everything to do with it, because all of us can fall prey, and naturally we move towards selfish tendencies, wanting it to be about ourselves, about me, as opposed to the other. And if left unchecked, that could damage, no doubt, relationships, lead to bitterness, resentment, even contempt. I know that's been the case in my relationships, friendships over the years, close family, and no doubt my marriage. I've needed a divine intervention in my life in the places where I've been selfish. I've needed a Jesus intervention, and He offers that intervention to all of us. I need it every day. I believe all of us need it every single day. So, how do we get this Jesus mindset? Is this something that we just try and flip a switch and turn on? No. As followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, even here in the 21st century, it's a process of letting his life take more and more root in our life. In essence, we need the life of Christ in us. As we read in Scripture, as we read in his word, this life comes by faith, trusting that there is this life available to us, a life that can overwhelm our selfishness and move us towards selflessness. And it comes by faith. It's an initial step of believing and trusting that Jesus is who he said he is. And by putting our faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior, the promise of God is that we receive a new life. We receive his spirit. We receive a new life in Christ. It's not something that's automatic. It's something that's put in, though, and needs to be experienced and nurtured and cultivated. And as we live into that, as we let his grace do his work in our life, he changes us from the inside out to become more and more like Jesus. It's a process. It's a training. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness, is like a divine trainer that makes us more and more like Christ. But it begins by believing that he's done this for us and, that, and believing that he will continue to do this in us and through us. Right, Paul, in another letter to the Galatians, wrote one of, is very much so one of my life verses, Galatians 2.20. And Paul says this, he goes, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here in these mysterious words, Paul's saying, my old life is dead. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been united with Christ. And and, and my life, my old life has been buried away and dead. But it's not just that. united with Christ, Christ was resurrected from the dead. We are resurrected as well as followers of Christ because that there's a new life that's available to us a new life that's a supernatural life that needs to be embraced and practiced and lived out and we could experience that life as in faith and trust ask god to let that life become more and more present in us and through us we see that here that this amazing truth this description of jesus is the one who gave himself for us and he loved us so how do we live this out If we look at verses 1 through 5 again, and we see the life of Christ in Philippians 2, 1 through 5, we begin by starting by by living this by faith and say, God, I believe and trust that you did this for me and that this new life in Christ is available for me. And then day by day in faith as well, in faith and trust, relying on his grace, saying, God, continue to change me from the inside out. Make me more and more into a selfless person and less and less of a selfish person. And then we seek to put this into practice. Uh, Because Jesus is the only one who lived this out perfectly. He's the only one who who can say that he did nothing, absolutely nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He did absolutely nothing um, that looked only to his own interests. In humility, he truly did value others above himself. He put their needs and concerns first, and he laid down his life in that capacity. And so as we think about our lives, we think about our relationships, whether it's in marriages or close relationships, our role is to ask God to help us counteract those selfish tendencies, to interrupt that, to intervene, and day by day, moment by moment, to give us an opportunity to practice what it means to be more like Jesus, the selfless, sacrificial one, as opposed to where we go naturally, which is our selfish tendencies. So what do we do? i am to give you one thing to remember, one thing to do, and some questions to reflect on. One thing to remember is this. God offers help with our marriage and close relationships as we engage in selfless actions fueled by the life of Christ with one another. And the key phrase in that one thing to remember is fueled by the life of Christ. I wish someone had told me this years ago. When I was a young Christian, I heard, okay, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are saved from a broken relationship with God. In essence, it was like a ticket to heaven. Woo! That's great. Praise God. I just woke you up if you were asleep. Right? That was great. But very, no one told me until I started digging deeper into Scripture reading books that the life of Christ is one to be, that is, is a transformative process as well over time. And that this new life is put into each and every single one of us as a follower of Jesus. And in many ways, so many t- ways, I was trying to make it happen on my own strength. But the, the, if you read deeper and deeper into Scripture, you see it's by the grace of God that he changes us over time to be more like Jesus if we open up our hands to receive his grace in that. So we have to believe and trust that he can and will do that. And then it's a matter of practice over time, being trained up in the way of Jesus. And that's why we have the church. We're here to cheer each other on, encourage each other, and hear messages like this to remind us that there's so much more to life than just what we go through day to day. So it's one thing to remember. What, What do we do out of this? The one thing to do is to ask God for an opportunity to live out Philippians 2, 1 through 5, either in your marriage or close relationships, each day this week. Be careful what you pray for. Ask God for an opportunity to live this out. And then keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open for the opportunity. God's going to give you them, And then ask God for strength to do it when it arises. And then in faith and in trust, with his help, take that step. And then repeat. Start with one. It may come in the next 10 minutes as you leave the service and go out to the parking lot. One moment where you feel like that pull towards selfishness. Where it's all about me. My desires. Where it's a feeling of almost, I don't care or want to care what you think. Say, no, God, interrupt that. Help me to keep someone else in mind. What are their interests? What are their concerns? How can I meet their needs? And see what God does. Ask him for help. It's not going to come naturally, but do it once and then repeat it. And look for this every single day this week and see what God does. Let me tell you, it's, uh, be very careful what you pray for or be careful for me as a pastor what you're going to preach. Because... I'm looking at this passage all week and I'm like, this is great. Philippians two, one through five. It's written on the uh, the Philippians one two one through five is written inside my wedding ring. And I'm like, I love this passage. It's been such an encouragement. I'll tell you, there was more pulls to selfishness with Laurie this week than I could ever imagine. I mean it was embarrassing. I mean, at one point, I'm like, I'm, I, was, I mean, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to do my own thing. And I'm sitting there. All of a sudden, it wasn't a bird, but it was like a little bird came flying in on my shoulder and said, you know, you're preaching on Philippians 2, 1 through 5 this week. I'm like, okay. God, give me hope. God, give me strength. Help me do the right thing and take care of her before I take care of myself. It's not an easy thing. And let me tell you, for the one time I did it right, there was at least five other times I didn't. And I confess that to you. I'm a work in progress, I'm a piece of work. We all need grace. And so may God give you grace this week as you consider this. Some questions for reflection to help you go deeper on it. What is an example of a selfish action that has hurt a relationship? And what is an example of a selfless action that has strengthened? A relationship. Reflect on that question as you think about relationships in general or your relationships. Where have they been strengthened and where have they been hurt? How is number two? How is God inviting you to nurture the life of Christ in your marriage or close relationships through selfish, sorry, selfless attitudes and actions? How's God inviting you to do that? Number three, what could change in your marriage and close relationships? if you consistently put this into practice with God's help. Imagine what that could be like. Even just a little bit, small differences to start and then increasing over time. One decision at a time with God's help, asking God for help to intervene to become more selfless, the way of Christ, as opposed to selfish. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your word, your word which is living and active and it's true. Thank you for these words of encouragement and challenge that you inspired the Apostle Paul to wrote to these Philippian Christians nearly 2,000 years ago. And here we read them today. Oh, Lord, please give us grace. Interrupt the areas of selfishness in our life, Lord, that are causing a mess in our relationships. God, we need your help. We need you to address the mess. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the one who gave everything for us. And thank you that... He's not just dead and gone nearly 2,000 years ago, but was resurrected to life, and his life is available to us today in faith and in trust. Lord, I pray that that life would be reproduced in us and come through us one decision at a time. Lord, we're going to mess up. We're going to fail. But thank you, Lord, that though a righteous person falls seven times, we read in Proverbs, that person rises again. Lord, raise us up. Help us to take steps forward in this, and may we become more of a loving people in the process, both in our marriages, our close relationships, and even as a church family. Oh God, we need your help. And so now as we turn to you in this time of communion, thank you that you've given us Jesus, and he nourishes us for this journey. We pray this in his name. Amen.